This episode of the Sunspots Comics Podcast is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Cryptid Zoo. Cryptid Zoo is a t-shirt line uniquely infused with augmented reality and inspired by cryptozoology figures like Bigfoot. It is designed by artist and owner Julian Meyer, and check out the amazing unique shirt designs at cryptidzoo.com. And don't forget to use the promo code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you will get 25% off your shirts. Again, that's www.cryptidzoo.com. If you're looking for a place where your love is shared the same For the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow Where love no further friends, the adventure never ends We will save the world somehow In Sunspots Comics Town I love the Carol of the Bells. Hey there! Thank you for joining us. Welcome! You are listening to the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 84, covering the comics that I bought on Wednesday, New Comic Book Day, December 7th. And let me tell you, this particular podcast is a holly jolly filled good time of comic book yuletide proportions. I'm your naughty but nice host, Chris Latori. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Sunspots Comics Podcast where I recommend to you an amazing list of comic books to read every single week. Maybe you're new to comic books, not sure what to get, or maybe you've been reading since the dawn of time, like me, myself, and you're not sure what to buy because there's just so much good stuff. Well, then this Sunspots Comics podcast is definitely for you. Please subscribe to us so you get everything without even thinking about it. Just click on subscribe anywhere you see it. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and Xbox Live at Sunspots Comics. And please check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Lat. T-O-P-H-E-E-L-A-T. Thank you very much, of course, to my friend Nick Papa George for making our fantastic Sunspots Comics theme song. I love it. Please check out his music. He has a band named Solution. He has a brand new single called Power Within You. You can see all this stuff on Facebook.com slash Nicholas Dell Music, or just go to iTunes and put in Nicholas Dell or Solution. Also, thank you to my son, Justin Jables Latori for his work on our Sunspots Comics blog. Please check it out at blog.sunspotscomics.com and follow him on Instagram at Just Sunspots. His latest blog is on his thorough and detailed review of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's movie, Doctor Strange. So check it out. We'd appreciate it. So let's jump right into Sunspots Comics Podcast issue number 84 with some stuff floating around inside my nerd brain. And the first thing that's popping up because I'm starting to get the feeling is Christmas. So let me ask you, is your Amazon wish list full of comic books? It should be. (laughs) And what I want most for Christmas, of course, is my family to be healthy and happy and world peace, and all that. But (laughs) this month, as I do the podcast every week, up until Christmas, I will share with you what's on my comic book Christmas wish list this year. And it's only full of comic books I have not read. So right off the top of the list, so here we go, I'm going to jump right into it, 
is the Fear Agent Library Edition Volume 1. Now this is on the Amazon and it's hardcover, it's beautiful. The Fear Agent comic is written by Rick Remender and art by a fella you might remember from his short stint with The Walking Dead, Tony Moore. He was the initial and original artist of The Walking Dead and I really loved his style. And a guy named Jerome Opeña who is known for X-Force, Punisher, and so much more. Beautiful, beautiful artist and Rick Remender has done everything. Just look him up, he's done some fantastic work. I am definitely a fan of his over the years. And it's only 36 bucks and it covers the first 15 issues and actually lists that it's 480 pages. But as I look through and do a little research on this, it's actually 512 pages long with some director cut goodies in there. So I am excited to get this. I cannot wait. It's top of my Amazon wish list. Am I missing something? Uh, if you think so, let me know. Or what's on your Amazon wish list that's comic books related that you're excited to read? So hit me up and let me know on Sunspots Comics everywhere, of course, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And, of course, just email me at chris at sunspotscomics.com. I would love to hear what you got on your list. And maybe I need, from that, I need to adjust my own Christmas comic book wish list. So, uh, definitely send me your thoughts. And that's what's on my list there. Fear, fear agent. I never read it. And I need to. It's been recommended to me numerous times. Next thing on my uh, nerd brain here is a holiday reread. So, every year I like to dive into something, into my elephant-sized trunk of comic books and just find something to reread that really has some tie into into Christmas. And this year, my pick is Claws. Claws came out uh, late 2015 into 2016, and it's written by Grant Morrison and art by Dan Mora. And it's, I mean, Grant Morrison is a very interesting, unique style writer, and he really captures a few different things here. It's kind of, it has the this Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and just sort of this but it's very sort of all ages and I don't think it really means to be it's just some great storytelling there and I he didn't deliver it necessarily on time so it'd be nice to see it collected I want to say it's it's 12 issues could be wrong on that don't quote me on it but I think it's a fantastic work it's the sort of origin of of Kris Kringle of Santa Claus and it's uh, he has a sidekick that's like this wolf, this white wolf that's beautiful. That's where it to me it kind of reminds me of the dire wolves from Game of Thrones. But uh, I'm going to reread that. That is my holiday reread. What is your holiday reread? Again, I want to know. Let me know. Hit me up at my email, chris at sunspotscomics.com. And the last thing on my nerd brain is that I'm writing a comic book called Zombie Destroyers. I'm doing the writing, the coloring, the lettering, and my good friend Jordan Hudson is doing his fantastic art. Please check out his Instagram at Jordan underscore Hudson underscore art. His art is delicious. It's beautiful. And I also have the website zombiedestroyers.com where I've posted pictures, of just little samples of pages one through four of uh, the comic book Zombie Destroyer. So I'm super proud of it. I'm super happy to be doing it. It's, it's humbling. It's a dream come true and it's so much fun. So please check out zombiedestroyers.com from time to time. And just a quick update on the comic and where we are with it. We hope to release it in early 2017. Uh, he's mailed me pages 15 and 16, so I can't wait to get my grubby hands on them. And I've finished and finalized the writings uh, for the writing for pages 17, 18, 19. And he has that, uh, including with my layouts. I do the panel design, etc. And I've given him some visual references. So that's where he is there. He's he's digesting that and grabbing that and pulling it all together to do some of his, do his beautiful pencils. 
And now I'm actually working on sort of the end of issue number one, and I'm kind of writing now pages 20 through 23 altogether. And I want to definitely end Zombie Destroyers issue number one with a super strong cliffhanger. Uh, so that'll go right into issue two and get you all excited to get issue two as soon as possible. So that's all I'm going to tell you. But there's a little sneak peek and just a little update on my comic book, Zombie Destroyers. I can't wait to uh, get it out there to you. And next up, I just want to quickly mention a segment of the podcast that I'm really enjoying and I'm getting some great submissions. I call it spotlighting. It's basically where if you or someone that you know is an independent comic book creator like myself, we here at Sunspots Comics want to shine some love and support to those struggling creators and we want to do what we can to help them get their comic books out there. So if you know a writer, an artist, a colorist, a letter, someone that just wants to spend their life doing nothing but comics like myself, Send me a link to their work, send me a review copy if you will, send me right to my email chris at sunspotscomics.com of course or just hit me on social media at sunspotscomics. But if you're an independent comic book creator, I definitely want to help you out and get your stuff out there so reach out to me and uh, I'd appreciate it and I'll do my part to get it out there for you. And just uh, one little quick uh, comic book news article, I always like to find something that's a little off the beaten path, a little odd, a little strange and a little fun. This particular article made my spider sense tingle. That's right. That's what that sound is. (laughs) And interesting little article here. This was from the Los Angeles Times. And it's titled, How a Mind-Controlled Robotic Arm Paved the Way for Caltech's New Neuroscience Institute. Now, as I'm reading this article, I immediately think of Dr. Octopus from from the Spider-Man series. And how he uses his mind to 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 actually control his tentacles and this is like one step in that direction hence why it's making my spider sense tingle but there is this billionaire couple and I'm gonna massacre their name I apologize we'll go with their last names they're Chen and Lou (laughs) and uh, they're a married couple worth apparently about eight billion dollars and I was looking into what they how they got that how they got all their, their tons of dough it's primarily from internet gaming they're one of the pioneers of internet games and they're apparently worth now eight billion dollars and they're spending their money in all kinds of interesting ways they quite often just donate to a lot of the entertainment industry businesses to really support that and anything that they even have this one campaign where they donated to sort of help people with dealing with death and accept mortality which is interesting just for sort of mental health purposes so they're trying to put all this money that they have to good use and they went ahead and donated 115 million dollars to the neuroscience department of Caltech so they were sitting around and they were thinking what can we throw 115 million dollars at well they they were watching the news and they saw that this scientist at Caltech, uh, Richard Anderson, had uh, helped a quadriplegic use his thoughts to control a robotic arm. Yes, Dr. Octopus. Hello. And for the first time in more than 10 years, he could sip a drink unaided by just using his mind and sending the message through his nerves into th- and using his brain into, these, uh, into a robotic appendage and it it listened to his thoughts yes i don't know all the science and how that works but amazing right and please i hope that chen and lu these billionaires are not trying to take over the earth as dr octopuses right <laughs> octopi uh because it sounds like uh that very well is one step further into actually happening but anyway 
I'm sure their money is just for a good cause. But I think that's just amazing that uh, that type of technology is happening in our lifetime. I mean, it's optimistic science here, right? Letting people that are missing appendages being able to actually just use that appendage the way our bodies are designed to and sending uh, signals into our brains and then connecting to our nervous system and actually having your appendages move as they should for people that are lacking those limbs. So awesome that these billionaires gave $115 million to Caltech to help neuroscience. So I think that's just very cool, but it of course made my spider sense tingle yes there it is again <laughs> so there you go that's just a little fun comic book news for you this week so now let's get into my favorite part of the sunspots comics podcast which is of course my comic book reviews and recommendations where i pick my favorite comic books for new comic book day december 7th so here we go and of course spoiler ish alert <laughs> But don't really worry, I really just work hard to just harness my powers of persuasion and just trying to inspire you to buy these comic books. So I really just leave the last couple of pages alone. I definitely don't try to spoil them and give you every interesting point. Uh, so that sometimes it seems kind of short and sweet of my reviews. It's really just telling you to go and buy them immediately. So, uh, but don't worry, but just in case, you know, you've been warned, little spoiler-ish alert. And if you want to see everything, the cataloging, the everything that I'm working on from my favorite picks of the week all the way back to May of 2015, just go to sunspotscomics.com. Click on the pull list to see every single one of my 133 titles that I'm currently reading. So it's great. It's cataloged. It's right there. It's numbered. It's just simple. And you can check out every single title that I'm reading. Also, just click on Top Comic Books of the Week to see every single past top, top comic book of the week. So that you, if you really, like I said, you're uh, new to comics, you're not sure what to buy, sunspotscomics.com, just check it out. Or again, if there's just, there is so much content, it's hard to figure out what to, what to spend your money on, and money is limited. Again, this, uh, that's what we're here for, in sunspotscomics.com, just check it out. I listed it all, and it's simple, it's easy, I just updated, it's very simplified, Please, just uh, put your eyeballs on it, sunspotscomics.com. Also, every single week, of course, I like to pick an art winner and a cover winner. And this week, it was one and the same person. I really like when that happens. And that happens a lot. It's Mikkel Janin of Batman issue number 12 from DC Comics. And it is absolutely stunningly gorgeous. I'll start with the cover. It's yellow on black, which just has that striking look. And Batman is just sort of tumbling through the air with Catwoman and a few other characters, and you sort of don't know which way is up, but it's just that striking yellow and black that really catches your eye, and it's beautifully drawn by Mr. Mikkel Janin. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And he does some really ambitious art in this comic. I have to say, a ton of two-page splashes with Batman in action, just fighting a gigantic horde of bad guys. There is some great, unique, sort of giant uh, two-page splashes filled with a lot of mini teeny panels that are floating throughout the top area to move the story along but then also just sort of dive into this beautiful gorgeous layout of a two-page splash there's probably six of them in this i mean there's a part where he goes from jumping off the top of this building into the ocean that's filled with sharks so it's from black to yellow to blue and it's just striking and beautiful and iconic it was so easily the art pick winner of the week I read my comics alphabetically of, of my entire pull list, so Batman was, uh, I think, the very first. And I knew from looking at the first of all 24 of my comic books that this was the, the, 
the art and cover winner. And I and I challenged it as I went along and read everything else alphabetically. I, I constantly went, ooh, this is really good art, but is it better than Batman 12? It was like, no, Batman 12 wins. And I did that like seven to nine times. <laughs> but there's this two-page splash of the aftermath of this fight, it's gorgeous. So ultimately in this uh, issue, which I'll get into later, he's trying to put together sort of his own suicide squad, and that's why he's trying to break into a place. But that's all I'll tell you for now, because I'll get into it later. But it is gorgeous, it's some wonderful coloring. I must say the colorist's name is June Chung, and I love the way Batman is drawn here. It's gorgeous, there's that hint of purple in his outfit. So hats off to the colorist. And just the action poses and scenes, and you get a sense of speed in this from how they sort of lightly blur Batman as he's running by and floating through the air and diving into the ocean with sharks. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of art, and I love looking at it. And I, this is one I will m definitely remember for a long time. It's just so gorgeous. Very little dialogue, but it tells the story, and it's simple, and it's beautifully done. Thank you, Mr. Mikkel Janin. And also, a quick sort of special mention of something I mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, issue 83, was the, from DC Comics, the 75th anniversary of Wonder Woman. And I didn't get a chance to read it last podcast, so I did and read it for you here. And I want to strongly recommend that you get this. It is a beautiful piece of work. And I actually, it was uh, the uh, one of the writers of one of the short stories, Hope Larson, was nice enough to sign it for me. She does kind of the the comedy uh, part of the of this uh, unique little storytelling, where there is a uh, sort of like IKEA, but it's called Idea, that uh, <laughs> they sort of have a fight in this Idea store, and uh, it's definitely the comic relief because otherwise it's just so super well done. The artist that did Huck which is one of my favorite comics like of all time, is the artist on the first sequence. And I love the way he draws Wonder Woman, just very muscular. I have to give hats off to his art. Raphael Albuquerque. And he's even the, the writer on this with Raphael Scavone. So a couple of Raphaels right there at you. But their art is gorgeous. And it uh, has that World War II feeling. She's back in time. I mean, there's, there's Nazis. And the second one is so colorful and so beautiful. Art by Jenny Frizen. Uh, they've... There's almost no dialogue in this, but it's like Wonder Woman and a tiger. It's beautiful. There's like a blue jay bird that sits on her sh on her shoulder. It's just uh, it's f so fantasy and beautiful and just colored so well. There's even some sketches in here uh, from an artist that passed away. That they're beautiful black and white sketches of some early Wonder Woman covers. So it's just beautiful. And uh, Riley Rosmo is in here that does uh, a sequence, and that is gorgeous. But the eight short stories really hit well. They are beautiful, and the way they tie it in with some of the covers over the time over time that have been on Wonder Woman on the Wonder Woman comic, and even just some some just single page splash from from various artists. It's gorgeous. There's even this like two page, very detailed article with Lois Lane sitting down with Diana Wonder Woman and in this interview and it's really interesting and I would have normally wanted to skip that but I didn't and I'm glad that I didn't but it's a great team of artists great team of writers it's a mixed bag of Wonder Woman stories that were that were really good I don't even want to say actually they were just really super good so I have to recommend that to you go get it I know it's eight bucks I know but hear me out it's worth the eight bucks Super glossy paper as well. Uh, the paper stock is really done uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a super good way with the coloring. 
it just it, it doesn't feel cheap that's ultimately what the paper stock is about and the coloring and the high glossiness here it, this is a collector item it's it's just gorgeous wonder woman number one 75th anniversary edition go and get it trust me it's worth the eight bucks <laughs> so um here we go moving on the breakdown so here we go the breakdown this week was that i bought 24 comics it was kind of weird that i actually bought 18 from my local comic book shop and I was sad that there was a bunch of stuff missing, but the next day on Thursday, they were able to hook me up with uh, six more. So that was super nice of them. So I, I got the complete list this week. So 24 total, and 14 of them made it to my favorite pick list, which is over 50%, which is a ton, but they were super, super good. It was really hard this week to kind of give them ranking because everything was really good. Even the number ones, like, uh, or the, uh, the not the number ones, but the, um, the top four, those those were all number one, all seriously number one contenders. They're uh, the the the, la the number one through four. They were all so good. It was a really tough week to rank them all and to battle them against each other and to come up with a list of fourteen comics. But I did it painstakingly. But I, you can buy any one of them though, and you're safe. And new number ones, they were seven this week. So of the twenty-four of them, seven were brand new number ones. You had Doctor Afro, which is good. I'm gonna keep uh, with that one. Didn't make it to the pick list, but I'm going to check that out in the future. One Week in the Library, which I actually didn't finish, so it didn't get reviewed. It's going to be on a future podcast, I can tell, because it's already, I'm already, it's 100 pages, but I'm already uh, about, I don't know, 30 pages in, and it's really good. And uh, The Circle, uh, Nova number one, and uh, three of those seven made it to the top pick list. So I'll tell you which three they are here coming up on the list, but that's pretty darn good. Good to get about, you know, close to 50% which is super, super nice. So here we go. That's the breakdown. Let's get into my favorites, the top picks for comic book, uh, new comic book day, December 7th. Yes, so here we go. Coming in at number 14 is The Walking Dead, issue number 161. And I tell you, this is five of six of the Whisperer War. So we are coming up to the end of this. And the Whisper War, I mean, I can't believe there's only one issue left. Uh, and it's, uh, I think it's going to be a doozy. We're at five of six. And there is a ton of things going on in this issue. If you're a Walking Dead fan, you are just absolutely happy with everything that's going on here. So you have the Whispers now attacking the gates of all of the compounds. And you have uh, uh, the, uh, the, little, uh, the little lady of Carl's that uh, of course her mother was uh, Alpha that's no longer with us she is in there in the mix fighting and that's where this uh, the sequence that opens the comic starts out it's just a uh, action-packed you're not sure of course that's the the cool thing about the whispers you don't really know which one of them is just an actual person with just wearing zombie zombie skin to cover them so uh, they can some of them are just standing there and getting plucked off one by one, but then every now and then you have someone that is not a zombie and is actually really fighting you, and uh, that's an interesting, complex thing right there, conceptually. Hats off, Mr. Robert Kirkman. By the way, of course, you already know, if you don't already know, this is written by Robert Kirkman, art by Charlie Adlard. Beautiful work. And this does slice into what sort of everyone, uh, how all the camps are dealing with this Whisper War in full effect, and... Uh, you have Maggie's child is the focus of the second sequence and how they have to get her out of this burning building. And that's, that adds to the tension. 
And that's that's the sort of second sequence there. And then Carl's stuck in this flaming building. What's going to happen to Carl? Uh, Carl's unconscious. Is someone going to help him? Is someone going to save him? That's kind of the third sequence. Uh, fourth sequence is uh, just uh, you see a sort of a pulled back sort of epic sweeping two-page splash of uh, a lot of the compound is on fire. And, uh, and it's just... It shows you sort of the the scale of this Whisperer War, and it's of large scale. It's pretty intense. And just more fighting, more action. You get to see Maggie again. You get to see Beta. And Beta is still has his issues with if people saw his face when he was unconscious. And so he's sort of out of commission right now, kind of regathering himself, getting his wits about him as he's ready for the next phase. And that's all you sort of see from him. There is a next sequence of someone that was bitten on the hand and they have to take care of that yeah not so much fun but that's really all i need to tell you that's where it's leading up to the big finale of the whisperer war and how is this going to all lay out how many of rick's group are going to be left after this uh what are the other groups going to do are they really going to help are they going to stab rick in the back are they going to stay fully in and invested in this whisperer war those are just some of the questions that I'm sure 6 of 6, issue 162, next month will answer. So I can't wait to see the end of the Whisperer War. And coming in at number 13 from Image Comics and Top Cow Productions, partnered together for Eclipse, number 4. This is written by Zach Kaplan, who I've interviewed on past podcasts. Go check it out in the feed. You can see me interview and hear me interview Zach Kaplan. This is art by Giovanni Timpano and color by Chris Northrup. This is a cool... Post-apocalyptic, uh, post-apocalyptic world of where the sun has destroyed everything. You step out in the sun and you just burst into flames like a pile of leaves. It's crazy. And this, though, has more going on. You have uh, the main character, Bax, who is trying to solve this sort of murder mystery as to this person that can also uh, defy the sun and not burn and die when he's in the sun. They've at least figured out that aspect of it. They're on the hunt. This is a very, the whole first one in sequence one and two are just action based where Bax is chasing this guy onto a roof and you have um, his sort of uh, friend that's a girl that is the daughter of one of the major corporations here, Cielo, that is kind of in the mix here and she has an escort that's quickly taken out and there's some definite tension here because he cares for Cielo uh, really just more as a friend. You don't really see any romantic aspect there. But maybe there is that there. But in some of the flashbacks, as we have uh, flashbacks of, uh, of for, into Bax's life, um, he's kind of that lonely guy that is just, uh, he's hes uh, full of hope and he's good and he's just trying to make the world a better place and th- that he has this sort of weird job that works with the police, works with uh, all these different sort of uh, corporations and institutions to just sort of, because they have these awesome you know, suits to protect them, to just sort of help and do what they can in all different aspects. And they've got this crazy guy that's, Kind of a priest that can that can that isn't killed by the sun, that is uh, a bit on the wacko side and is trying to take out uh, the children of the of these corporate leaders, and that's where Cielo is uh, a marked target. And he's just trying to trying to keep her alive. This guy can definitely fight. He seems to have super strength. I mean, Bax is stabbed. It's just action packed. It never stops. The tension doesn't give up. I mean, it's right up to the last couple of pages where maybe the pace changes. That's all I'm going to tell you. I won't tell you if it goes up in pace or down in pace. You got to check it out yourself. But Eclipse, I mean, great end to the story arc here. 
I can't wait until March until we continue on and read more of Eclipse. So they're going to take a little bit of a break. But great story arc ending. And uh, you have to grab all four of these. I'm sure they're going to be putting them in collection very soon. And I love, 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 love. I wish more comics did this. The director's cut goodies at the end. There is how to color, how to write, how to lay out panels. It's so helpful to me being a comic book creator. They even have the contest winner, which uh, I have to say it's 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 nice, but I, I know that my good buddy and artist of Zombie Destroyers, my comic book, Jordan Hudson, uh, he did a beautiful picture, uh, which I posted on my site. Just go to sunspotscomics.com and check out Jordan Hudson's entry for this uh, contest that they had to be in issue number four of Eclipse. And uh, I know I'm maybe a bit biased, but his art is gorgeous, and Jordan should have won. So hey, Jordan, I know I told you this already, but uh, it's true. Your art's amazing, and you should have won that contest. But anyway, <laughs> the winner's there. But I love uh, all of the uh, the behind-the-scenes how-to-make-a-comic-book stuff in the back of uh, Eclipse, the comics. And they do consistently do that in every single issue, so they're great. I've read them all. And sometimes you want to just skip them because it's, it's sort of dialogue-heavy, but it really shows the process, and it's worth taking a look at, even if you don't want to create a comic. It's fine. It's just interesting to see how the process is done of creating comic books. So check it out. Coming in at number 12 is, uh, man, this is another Image Comics, is uh, Violent Love, issue number two. And Violent Love is written by Frank J. Barbier and art by Victor Santos. This one's titled uh, Sex and Money. And this is the first sequence is set in 1971 where we sort of see the development of this Bonnie and Clyde-like two characters, this woman and this man, and she is like, it's kind of her first time robbing a bank. Or you think it is, anyway. <laughs> she definitely has, like, where she fumbles a little, but she kind of pulls it off, and she has this sort of uh, boyfriend that's, that's in the getaway car, and they got a bag of cash, and they loot the place. And it's done in a very stylistic, very colorful, cartoony style, but the content and the material is not for kids. It's very adult in language, etc. And you're, you find yourself kind of rooting for a bank robber, right? Because there's going to be this, this love that eventually happens. They're definitely taking their time. This is the development of, of just Daisy's character at this point, where she has this other boyfriend. Uh, she lost her father in the, in the early issue, and her, uh, she is on a mission of revenge. Vengeance will be hers. And so she's going to do whatever it takes to find the people that, that, that killed her father. They shot her, left her for dead. She managed to survive. And this, though, flashes back to this sort of old man, this grandpa, telling this story to, like, his young red-headed uh, grandchild with pigtails. Just this, and the little, and the freckles. Just cute little kids. She looks like the Wendy's, uh, you know, <laughs> the Wendy's girl in the, in the fast food restaurant. And it's, it weaves that story. It has that sort of, um movie I love, which is, uh, it, it sort of has that granddad telling his granddaughter the story of what's happening, uh, The Princess Bride. It just sort of has that feel to it. And, uh, and yeah, this is Daisy's story and how she goes after the people that are trying to kill, that killed her father. And you just sort of get introduced to Rock Bradley, which I, I do believe that's who her love interest is going to be. They seem to have that, that look from across the room. And, uh, and and their eyes connect. And it's love at first sight. And then they go on a terror spree and rob banks. <laughs> so I am definitely in invested. Want to see kind of where this goes. I wonder if you are going to be rooting for these uh, bank robbing people. You wonder? 
but maybe the, the, the love aspect uh, in this story and uh, and maybe that's what will be the hook but we don't quite get it yet this is just the setup just development of daisy but definitely interested it's got like i said an interesting art style very very kind of quirky very unique very different but violent love is very much worth checking out it's beautifully colored too it's just gorgeous and the unique paneling is out of sight but definitely for adults not an all-age comic and that's uh number 12 coming in at number 11 is unworthy thor issue number two from marvel and this i tell you i was uh, maybe the surprise hit of the week because uh number one was was pretty darn good of uh, unworthy thor and it got better here and I'm really enjoying Mighty Thor, uh, the Lady Thor, Thorette. The uh, uh, you know, the hammer of, of Thor is uh, is to is to now uh, Jane Foster, and she is uh, the Mighty Thor series. But the Unworthy Thor goes into Odinson, uh, and he is now um, met up with Beta Ray Bill. And I tell you, there is like this opening sequence where Beta Ray Bill kneels and gives his hammer to Odinson. And it's just this noble, this 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 definitely you get this feeling of nobility from the the tone in his voice, and he says, "Say say you'll take my hammer, please, Thor. It would be my honor." And it's just he's kneeling, and it's that that he's putting his head down and bowing, and it's this such this this um, positioning and feeling and and body language of respect and honor and nobility, and it got me like that was the hook. I was like, "Wow, that is just really well done." Because you have the art done by uh, Oliver Coypel, and this is written by Jason Aaron, of course, who's doing Southern Bastards, and he's doing Star Wars, and he's amazing. So hats off to Jason Aaron and his writing. But that opening sequence was enough to buy, and it's so beautifully drawn by uh, Oliver uh, Olivier. Yeah, it's I E R Coypel. I'm sorry if I messed that up. But anyway, so they're on the moon, and there he is. There's Beta Rebel kneeling. And Thor refuses. He just says that I would be worse of a man to accept this. Uh, your friendship means more to me. And there's just this just, just cool, like, bro-friend moment here. And he's unworthy Thor, but that's, that, that right there, that act of declining and saying I'm not worthy of it, I was very humble. And maybe that's leading him to the path of being worthy for the hammer again. And that's where this story is sort of going. And then they're, like, attacked by this... I don't know, this alien armada, you're not quite sure exactly what it is, but they're firing lasers, they're shooting some crazy laser, a lightning technology at them, and they're kind of fighting, and Odinson is, uh, it's tougher for him, he's still sort of invulnerable, he can still jump, he still has that, that goat friend that he rides, <laughs> it's like this, and, uh, uh, I think his name is Gnasher, <laughs> and he calls him, and so there's this fight going on, there's this sort of devious, hooded, uh, bad guy that you're sort of introduced here, but you don't really know, they don't really show. So it's just a teaser into who the potential bad guy is in this. And I like that. And there's this nightmare sequence. I said this in the past. I'm not the biggest fan of nightmare sequences. But it's drawn so beautifully. And it shows Mjolnir attacking Odinson. And laying upon his chest and he can't breathe. And it's pushing down upon him. And the art here where it's like his chest is caving in. And these dark lines are running across his chest in this nightmare sequence. All right, it was good. I usually kind of roll my eyes with nightmare sequences or dream sequences, but, and then he's sort of rained down Mjolnir's upon him, like 30 or 50 of them. And he's uh, smashed up pretty good. Like it's a great little like 
nightmare sequence. And there's a, there's a show, another bad guy here that we've seen in the past. I won't tell you who it is in that crazy dream. But then we're introduced into the collector. And that's the other, the second hook of this comic. He is so good here. He is so conniving, so evil. And he is, uh, he's collected Asgard. I'll just tell you. Uh, it's, it's not a big, it's, I guess it's been referenced in other comics. But he's collected Asgard, and he's collected Odinson, and he wants a hammer, and wants to figure out, well, I collected Odinson, I collected Asgard, I should be able to have my own hammer. And we're introduced into another hammer. And it gets a little, like, a little continuity odd here, with the Ultimates referenced. So, the Ultimates, and now this universe have melded, I guess, or something? Not quite sure, but there is the hammer from the Ultimates, and it's awesome. It's more of a hammer axe combo and i really dig it and it has the words of course from odin on it but uh, that's all i want to tell you because some stuff happens here that's super good but you have the collector they i you know they make him more of a major sort of villain here but a complex villain so super super good i highly recommend unworthy thor one was super good this was better for a number two to be better than a first because you have to put that extra pack that extra punch that extra awesome into issue number ones this has more of all that in issue number two. So check out Unworthy Thor. It is worth your time and money. Very, very good. So now, top ten. Coming in at number ten from DC Comics is Superman. Issue number 12. And this is not the... I guess Mankey has done some of the art. But you have this written by two fantastic artist writers. Uh, Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. And you have uh, on art... You have, this one is Doug Mankey. So I think Mankey's sprinkled in here. He does like, I want to say every fourth issue or so. And so of the art team, I would say he's maybe on the a little further down the list than, I mean, all the rest we've seen, like Jorge Jimenez, who was beautiful. Listen to last week's podcast. Jorge Jimenez's work is unbelievable. And uh, Patrick Leeson, out of this world. But uh, here you got Doug Mankey, and I tell you, it's some of his more solid work. I was really happy with it. And I love that they also stay consistent. With the art team and the writing team that they've put together for Superman, none of it is overly jarring and odd to where you go, oh, they're changing the art again. Even Mankey, I would say, he's right in there with line in line with all the other artists. But So this shows Lois trying to get a job at a Hamilton newspaper, and Frankenstein jumps in. Agent of Shade Frankenstein. He just comes into the room and he says he's hellbent, on finding the outcast and it's this lovely woman that is actually interviewing Lois for a job and you're like there's no way that this kind little sweet uh, woman that works in a newspaper is this outcast character that Frankenstein is destroying this newspaper and hellbent on slicing her with a sword and shooting her with this crazy gun that has like bat ears on it for the hammer and it looks like it's kind of a little train like a like he's holding a sort of train with a a bat as your as the gun hammer Totally unique and twisted looking, uh, but I love that. And Frankenstein's awesome. He's super muscular. He, he kind of reminds you like he looks like the Hulk a little, but he's got all the stitches which make him look like Frankenstein. A lot of the typical traits of Mr. Frank. And yeah, you're just like, leave this woman alone. Like, what are you doing? And luckily, Lois still has some bat tech on her. She has the Hell Bat glove from Batman that she borrowed. And yeah, this Hell Bat glove is awesome. And it, like, shoots this red flame at Frankenstein because she's trying to save this this woman of the Hamilton Gazette and just get out of this building that he's destroying. 
And uh, yeah, where's Superman? I mean, but lucky she can handle her own. It's like you aren't really worried. Like I like that they they draw and write Lois that way. She's uh, you know she can handle herself. She doesn't completely always need Superman there to completely save her and always be that damsel in distress. But yeah, they're they jump into Frankenstein's vehicle, which is awesome. It's like this awesome hovercraft machine. It looks something out of just space age. Way too sciency for this little small town of Hamilton. And yeah, they're hot, uh, Frankenstein's hot on, on, on their trail, and he, they're not getting very far. And thankfully, yes, Superman comes in. You're like, okay, yes, because they just did a really good job of building the tension up until that point, like midway into the comic before Superman even comes in. So you're like longing for him. You're like, Superman, save the day. I like that they just don't over Superman this comic. <laughs> And in this action, all the action sequences. But yeah, they're fighting. But Superman is is telling him, "Look, I'm holding my I'm holding back my punches here, and I won't if you don't stop and explain yourself." And Frankenstein's just not having it. He's like, "I don't have to explain myself to anyone." I like the way that he's 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 drawn and he's written here. And he's like, "Look, I have to do my job. You're just standing in my way." And just blasts Superman in the face with this strange train slash bat gun thing that he has. It's awesome. And it actually sets Superman back, and then he hits him over the head with a tractor. And that's all I want to give you. There's a great fight sequence between the two of them. What happens at the end here is a definite twist. This old farmer guy comes out with a shotgun and gets involved, so that's a little complexity there, and just shoots Frankenstein with a, with a shotgun. What happens there? But that adds the tension. You're like, don't kill this, this awesome old farmer guy that just was trying to help Superman out, but it's a great action sequence, and uh, the hover car tech is great. Frankenstein's awesome. It's going to continue on is all I'm going to tell you. But uh, is this woman this from the Hamilton Gazette, is she the outcast that Frankenstein is trying to find? Uh, is, he, uh, is he is he brainwashed? Is something going on here with Frankenstein? What's happening? But uh, I, I, I dig it. It's just a it was a fast and easy way to inject a new sort of quote unquote villain, possibly. And I want to see more of Frankenstein and the way he's drawn is fantastic. So great job, Doug Mankey, and keep up all the great writing. Uh, Mr. Tomasi and Gleason. Good stuff. But coming in at number nine from Marvel Comics is Moon Knight, issue number nine. And this is, uh, it felt like the last issue was the end of the arc, but maybe this is actually the end of the arc, where you have um, Mark Spector uh, kind of split in three personalities. You have the uh, Moon Knight character, the primary sort of Moon Knight character, you have uh, Mark Spector, I guess, that is uh, in this inclination of Moon Knight just wears that three-piece suit that's all white and just sort of a white hood over his head and just a little more down-to-earth Moon Knight. Uh, and then you have this Moon Knight space agent that's on the moon that's fighting these like werewolf characters in this space war. And uh, and then I guess you have another, then you also have the Jake Lockley who's like in the 70s and... Uh, Drawn by Francisco Francovilla, which has this beautiful, uh, is beautifully drawn in this homage to the 70s and the neon lights and everything. But this is uh, the ultimate concept of this comic is that he uh, knows, Mr. Mark Spector knows, that he has to sort of meld these personalities together into just him. And this is written by Jeff Lemire, by the way. Fantastic uh, writer's been doing everything. And then an art team of Greg Smallwood, Rolfredo Torres, Francisco Francovilla, and James Stokey. So each time the artist is given a couple of pages, it does sort of change in the overall look and feel of the comic. But it's not jarring, it's awesome. You kind of want to live in each one of these worlds, and they just give you enough 
to tickle you and uh, and and kind of make you chuckle and want some more and it's it's awesome when it changes gears and changes looks but he's figured it out that now he understands that he has this multiple multiple personality disorder and he has to find a way to just accept them and bring them all in together to where they basically dissipate or uh, you know just kind of blow away into the wind like sand and so he's there he's in new york new york's covered with sand still it's still like sort of being attacked by that sort of pharaoh like uh, character which now we know it's Khonshu, who actually is the the construct the god that is uh, that is ultimately the power of moon knight that is doing this to mark and he doesn't really know why uh is he good is he is he, is he evil Maybe his, uh, that's what he's playing with here, and I love that, um, that Jeff Lemire's playing with it. Maybe Khonshu's design is not to have Moon Knight as a good guy, but to maybe take over New York. And I love that they're dangling that here as well. But the part that's actually very heartfelt is when he does sort of acknowledge that he has this mental disorder, and that he needs to accept each one of their personalities so that they, they really just kind of absorb back into him. And uh, that's an interesting thing in comics that, that you don't see very often. It's written so very well by Jeff Lemire, masterclass artist here. And the emotions on the faces that he uses when he's sort of sad to sort of see them go, but he says you're kind of dying, but maybe you aren't because you'll always be within me. And uh, it's well done. And the last sort of concept of, uh, or the last personality, um, you know, really has a conversation with him saying like, you know, I remember when, I remember my first date. I remember my first kiss. I remember my parents. Like, how could I be just a figment of your imagination? And he's like, well, really, you're not. You're me, and you'll always be with me. And and he, and he kind of dissipates. But that's all I want to tell you. That's the hook of the comic. I, I didn't give you too much there. Trust me, there's a lot more to dive into and to chew on here. It is good stuff. There is a fight sequence as well. Moon Knight just doesn't want to go go quietly into the, into the blow into the wind. doesn't want to become dust in the wind. So there's some fight, fight action here, but it's good stuff and it's complex and it's twisted and it even, like I said, kind of taps into someone that's accepting a mental disorder in the multiple personality syndrome, etc. But so well done. Love Moon Knight. It's been a solid contender. Look back on the pull list on the top picks of the week. Moon Knight's there. It's been there. It's been doing really, really well. So that's number nine. So coming in at number eight is Glitter Bomb issue number four. Glitter Bomb is from Image Comics as well, and this is written by Jim Zub, and art is by Jibril Morissette Fam. And this is super good stuff. This is definitely a surprise title. I loved it from the get-go. It's the whole everything is set in Los Angeles, and there's definitely a a respect and and a, a level of accuracy and uh, given to Los Angeles, and that's my hometown. It's where I was born and raised, so uh, it, it's it's a respectful look. I mean, it's not all pretty. Um, it's not all uh, glamorous, and that's what LA is. And this is the story of this down-on-her-luck actress that you find out has been even maybe sexually assaulted by this this uh, this head star of this TV show, and that's like her some of her background into how the acting world in Hollywood has treated her, and it's not good. And the opening sequence is of this very awkward sort of potentially, a, they don't show it, but maybe a very well like a rape scene. And it's it's gruesome, and it sets this stage of like, hmm, okay, that's what we're dealing with here. It's very realistic, and she's a very young girl, so it's just very wrong and feels very icky. Yeah. 
but sets a fantastic stage here because she's already taken this guy out in the previous issue. He's a goner, and uh, that sequence there is awesome. Go back to issue number three of Glitter Bomb and look and see what I'm talking about. I won't tell you how it happens, but they have this... But Hollywood decides to have this red carpet event as like a tribute for this actor Cliff, who is ultimately a scumbag and a rapist, potentially. And she's been invited to this uh, because there's not a lot of the actors uh, and actresses, I guess, still available for stuff. And he's a big deal. It's like kind of like a Harrison Ford if he was on this major TV show. It's what you get that feel of him like. And in a little bit of an, uh, of an older man. And so the woman, though, in this character, our main character here... She has been sort of taken over by this alien, monstrous demon entity. You don't, it's never really truly defined. In issue number one, she walks into the ocean. Again, great respect and the look of Los Angeles and the beaches there. It's kind of very accurate and, like I said, not always pretty, but done well. And it just feels like Los Angeles. She walks into the ocean and then this alien demon being takes over her body. And she sort of doesn't remember when things happen as this tentacled crazy looking beetle bug like alien comes out of her it's it's gross it turns her face into this uh just like it just splits wide open it's nuts you have to see it the visual of the alien demon entity in her is uh, pretty gruesome so look at it though it's pretty neat <laughs> um and so she's invited to this red carpet event and uh, some stuff goes down in this red carpet event. First, the uh, the area of, of massive awkward feeling, like level 10 awkwardness, is when she does meet some of the cast and has these sort of mini flashbacks as she meets someone. She does like this, it's like a like a nine-part panel where it's done in threes, and it's, it's uh, our character's reaction at the end, the meeting of this actor now, and then a mini golden sort of colored differently uh, middle section of where she first met that person or the crappy moments that she met those person or had to deal with those people and uh, <laughs> yeah it's like there are one or two people here that were really good and they had like this sort of emotional connection and that's where it like it's this complex amount of feelings going on you're like man I hope the alien entity kills these people and you're like oh man I hope it doesn't kill this person and so you're going through this list of people and like what's gonna happen here is she just gonna is this alien gonna go crazy and just I mean who what's gonna happen so that's all I really want to tell you this is definitely an end of an arc I don't know if this is done for good but this does wrap up in some some action-packed alien demon stuff going down in Hollywood and Los Angeles but check out glitter bomb it's so good it's it was such a refreshing surprise Definitely one that I want to see more of. I think we're going to have to wait until sometime in 2017, I think. But very, very good. I'm so glad I stuck with it. It's a page turner. It's very little dialogue. It's uh, it's action-packed. It's uh, it's not a happy-go-lucky comic. Don't think by any means uh, uh, it's a feel-good, per se. But Glitter Bomb, just dark, dramatic, action-heavy, good stuff. So uh, here we, that's Glitter Bomb. And coming in at number seven is Batman issue number 12 and this was the art cover winner and art winner of the week and it's uh, the number seven comic this is written by Tom King and art and cover by Mikkel Janin and I have to give props to colorists and inks here June Chung and it's beautiful I, I mean I already told you the art a ton of two page splashes here you've got uh, lots of black and yellow and light purple and 
one layout sequence that's almost right in the center of the comic is Batman grappling all the way up to the top of this prison and then sort of finding he can't enter the building that way and then jumps all the way down and sort of gliders down into the ocean where there's sharks. It's beautiful, but he's trying to assemble his own little suicide squad team. He needs to go through Bane and he needs to go through the Psycho Pirate. He's still there. He's ultimately ultimately there too, trying to get Psycho Pirate to heal Gotham Girl, who's still mentally affected by the powers of Psycho Pirate, which is ultimately like he's kind of like can control your brain and put you into a permanent sort of fear toxin state. And that's where, where Gotham Girl is. But there's this letter in this that Batman writes to Catwoman. And I don't want to spoil all of it because it's really well done and really what laid out just super well from Tom King here. That is done in Batman's voice. Obviously he knows, uh, she knows who he is. But he has to sort of keep that secret in this letter because he knows that the prison reads it. But... It's kind of like an inside, there's a lot of inside references to things, but you kind of figure it's just a lot of their history together. And she's in prison for murdering, like, I don't know, 150 people or something, but he knows, he knows that she's been falsely accused. And, but she feels she's really guilty for things. And it's, so there's that complexity of that. I love the way that's written. And yeah, it's, there's not a ton to this, but it's, I would say, get it for just the art alone but it's definitely a, a kind of uh, traveling and fighting he has to get through a lot of the, the guards the prison guards and a lot of Bane's henchmen so it's just action-packed non-stop awesome batman action adventure and it's he's getting closer to him having a confrontation with bane and catwoman because they're there together and that's what it's coming down to and yet he's still trying to gather this his own little suicide squad for something <laughs> you're not quite sure what yet but uh so good loved it hardly any dialogue uh but a great fantastic solid read and just buy it for the art it's just gorgeous and like i said that letter that he that batman writes to catwoman in prison is done really well and sometimes those are not done really well i have to say <laughs> and uh it, this is just nicely worded well paced and it just keeps you interested a plus total winner so coming in at Number six is a number one. This is the this is the one of the three of the number ones that made it to the countdown this week. And it's Motor Crush from Image Comics. This is creators Brendan Fletcher, Cameron Stewart, and Babs Tarr. Uh, this is the uh, Batgirl team back to do Motor Crush, this independent creator-owned comic. And if you love the color pink, there's a ton of pink in here. This is for you. <laughs> But this is like, uh, it made me long for Speed Racer. And I'm not the biggest Speed Racer fan. I know I love that the actual live action movie, I know, from the Wachowski Brothers. Uh, not a lot of people did, but I loved it. And I loved some of the cartoon stuff when I was a kid. I wasn't a gigantic fan, but it made me long for it. Because this feels like a modern day uh, Speed Racer in this sort of awesome, very stylistic, very well drawn and well colored beautiful world that they've created in a kind of a cartoony style but uh it's about this chick she's a badass she drives motorcycles she races and she does these little sort of side illegal night racing for this crush material and it it seems like at first i wasn't quite sure if it was the crush is for cars to, it's like a nitrous sort of material that is, can be legally used in some of these races. I'm not quite sure on Crush, but <clears throat> you do know 
that she wants it badly. Is she addicted to it? Is it heroin? You're not really sure. But they add complexity to this character. She has her her father that is the main shop owner. He has like a, he's missing a leg and has kind of a uh, sort of robotic sort of appendage kind of in a way. And um, it's basically modern time as well from from what it looks like, but very stylized to give it that little edge of that futuristic feeling. But even the motorcycles look like your you know Honda Interceptor 1000, so that kind of look. And uh, she she's she actually uses an inhaler so she has a you know you feel a little bit for her that she's you know not completely uh you know just immune or oblivious to anything she you know has uh, some weakness there they, they give a little soft side to our character here but very stylized she's got the kind of a white suit that reminds me of speed racer in a way and it's uh it's it's talking a lot about some of the races she's been in it actually gives you a little profile setups and little win probability percentages uh, for each of the motorcycle racers and it kind of makes you want to watch some motorcycle speed racing because it really kind of glamorizes that world and their bike shop is set in this like awesome sort of seaside location where there's a there's a boat docked to it and everything and it's called Big Sully's bike shop so it gives you that little kind of cool sense of home in in comics which I like when that happens and you get that here and she has a bucket of crush which is this pink material this pink liquid and is it really bad? Is it not really bad? But she competes in these illegal nice night races to win more of it. And there's some stuff that goes down here. There's some shady characters involved in these, these night races that are illegal. And she's keeping it from her dad. But yet she loves her dad. And there's definitely that there. And you see the way they look at each other. But uh, she has kind of a mean streak. She has this sort of edgy streak. So she's definitely a complex character. And these night races that they are involved in on, on these speeder bikes... It's crazy. They have like cricket paddles with nails on the edges. Like they're gruesome where sort of people don't live and, and they, you know, get crushed from these these races. But I love the little breakdown, the little sort of the little action figure ass, the little sort of cards of each character kind of describing them and uh, it, you know, kind of showing how many times they've won and their breakdown and giving them all a little splash, a little, little unique personality, and they all are part of these these weird kind of gangs, which I like. But they've definitely put together an interesting world here in the area of speed bike racing. I would have definitely not, in normal circumstances, gravitated to this, but when I saw the team involved, the Batgirl team, you have to give it a chance here. I mean, that the series, they were, I mean, it's well acclaimed and really well done. Uh, the Batgirl series are involved in. There's a cool prologue at the end, which is kind of like this, like this other world. Like, how does that necessarily tie in? I'm not exactly sure. And then there's even like this great little humorous mini sort of half page uh, that is just uh, delightful. Check it out. <laughs> it's just good stuff. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. But yeah, I want to see more of this. Uh, I mean. When number ones come out this high on the ranking, that says a lot. And uh, it definitely has this independent feel. It's not necessarily mature content, so it's almost an all-age reader. But it's it's fun. It's very bright. A ton of pink, like I said. Very indie feel and very Speed Racer feel. But get it. Motor Crush, top-notch. Good stuff. And coming in at number five is Electric Sublime, issue number three. And... Let me tell you, Electric Sublime uh, is uh, from IDW Comics. This is written by W. Maxwell Prince, and beautiful, beautiful art. Definitely a number two art winner here. 
Martin Morazzo, and colors by Matt Lopes. You have to give, you have to put your eyes on this with the coloring done here. It goes from super hyper realistic style art and coloring to out of this world psychedelic. I mean, the open, opening sequence here is a strange dream sequence where the shower is uh, starts with kind of blood, and you're like, oh boy, here we go, like this crazy nightmare scene, and then goes into this beautiful just color this liquid color mess coming out of the shower head here and it's gorgeous and strange and twisted it definitely has that frank quietly's kind of art style here if you're familiar look at frank quietly's work so very detailed a uh, brazilian lines and that's kind of what you're getting here uh from martin morazzo and this character there is like a uh like a like a detective basically that is in charge of sort of finding out about these these murders that have been done in uh, in art galleries. Uh, the issue number one, Mona Lisa comes to life, and and the the actual picture changes and she winks. And there's some great symbols that have been created here to sort of mark the chapters, and I love them. They're just I'm just a big fan of strange and unique symbols. The chapter two, uh, this particular issue, uh, shows this key that he's drawn it's just this beautiful sort of calligraphy style key and it's just it's very appealing to the eye and i thought that's a unique little twist and this is ultimately kind of showing this strange world where where art is blending with real life and there's someone here like an omega level mutant if you will that sort of has the ability to create uh, art and when he does sort of insane horrible sort of terrorist type things happen <laughs> this is the best way to describe it and our detective here is hot on the case of trying to figure out what the heck is going on here and uh this opening sequence shows that she lives with an artist and who she's dealing with is sort of the main character of this and he is the person that has the ability to walk into the electric sublime and it's like walking into the paintings and he has this strange little action figure, this multi-point of articulation doll that artists use to to uh, help them with the physics and creating actual people. And it's eight feet tall in the Electric Sublime and his partner. Kind of a C-3PO, honestly, walking through this world. That's what it reminds me of. But strange things are happening. I mean, they're walking into some actual art. It definitely feels like it's an art history lesson sort of at the same time uh, for the character that they meet here is this beautiful iconic painting that we've all seen a ton of times and uh, the name already escapes me but anyway it does definitely feel like an artist lesson here and there's this little kid here named Dylan that is creepy as hell and some of the things that Dylan is doing in this strange art way is really happening in the real world and so uh, it's strange and what is Dylan doing and why why is he doing this to art and you don't know it's definitely a mystery at this point you don't really know exactly what's happening but it's building into this unique world where you know art is crossing over and it even reminds me as a kid I used to love this kind of goofy movie called Xanadu <laughs> and I just remember this sequence I don't even remember the whole movie but I remember this sequence where this guy roller skates is very 70s and he roller skates into this graffiti art, like in and against this wall, and goes into this strange world. And it kind of reminds me of that. That they're stepping into art and and it's very strange when they step into art. But not too overly psychedelic. I tell you, I I lose interest in things that are just way out there sometimes. 
Um, and this is not too far out there. It definitely grounds you in this sort of murder mystery and this kid Dylan who has these strange like Omega level powers, like I said. And when they're in this electric sublime, it's just not too far out there. It's a, it's enough to uh, to make you go, wow, that's weird and odd. But they, it's definitely grounded in a very uh, linear, very understandable, very clear story here. And I like that it also mixes that it seems like it's a history lesson in art. But gorgeous stuff. Uh, the next issue, number four, there on the countdown, the next pick is number four, is Electric Sublime number two. So this is the first time that it's happened where I didn't get the book on time from my local comic book shop, and I got issue three and two at the same time. So I'm going to run right into issue number four is Electric Sublime number two. And this is super, super good because uh, after um, this, uh, I'm, I'm actually going over, here we go, got it now. Um, they show this art school <laughs> that is like the the Xavier art school for the gifted. It's like blending in the X-Men school and these strange artists that have some sort of telekinetic or psychic ability that you can't even define yet. That it has to do with art and modern art. And when they draw things, things, ha things happen. And you're introduced to this character who dresses like Andy Warhol and is torturing someone. You don't know why, but it's to kind of get information out of them. And it's creepy as hell. <laughs> And he's kind of the bad guy in this, is this strange man that dresses like Andy Warhol and he has these sort of henchmen that are wearing all white suits with like splattered bit of paint and they're creepy as hell and they're after our main character. They're after, uh, I, I forgot his name, it's already escaped me, but um, they're, they're, you know, the detective is kind of, uh, he got our main character out of this uh, the psychiatric ward to help him figure out because he has access to the, to the electric sublime to figure out why are why are all these deaths? There was this killing in this art studio that was done in such a crazy, creepy, but artistic way. Um, it's uh, something really, truly messed up. It was like a bad guy in Dexter or something. It was just this strange, strange uh, murder scene. <laughs> but there you go. That's kind of the nutshell of uh, <laughs> Electric Sublime issue three and two, which end up being the number five and number four pick of the week. But get. It's hard to get, but get it. Get Electric Sublime. It is so super good. It's it's beautifully done. And like I said, um, if you want to just uh, get a little bit of art history in you, this will do it. And uh, like I said, not too psychedelic, but a very good sort of murder mystery story. Electric Sublime. Get it. So good. But now, here we go. We're into the top three. So these are the top three comic books of the week. And coming in at number three is... A one of the number ones. It's actually another issue number one, number two of three of the issue number ones. It's Jim Henson's The Storyteller Giants, tale one of four. Now, this Jim uh, Henson storyteller did dragons as well and witches. Those were those were fantastic. You can go back and get those as well. So, this is the next four <clears throat> into Jim Henson's these little sort of side stories that he had written, and these writers sort of picked up where he left off. And expand upon that universe that he was creating with witches, with dragons, and now with giants. And this is story and art by Connor Nolan. And it's beautiful. So you have this old man, this sort of Dumbledore man, if you will, sitting in this beautiful castle with his talking dog, his, like, his talking retriever. And he tells his retriever to go grab a bag of peaches from outside. And when he brings the bag of peaches in, it reminds him of a story. And that's ultimately what happens in each one of these four series arcs, in witches, in in giants, and in dragons, 
of the old man telling a story to his faithful retriever. So as he gets these uh, bag of peaches, <clears throat> he's reminded of the story. A very fairy tale-like story here that I love. This comic in particular, by the way, is like a great bedtime story for a young kid. That's what it really reminds me of. But at the same time, it'll really tap into that young kid inside of you. And just, uh, I mean, it's a little bit of James and the Giant Peach. It's mixed in there. And uh, it's a little bit of like this story of a giant who is uh, who's good. I mean, right? There's always a lot of stories of these giants are not so good. Kind of reminds you like Jack and the Beanstalk in a way, but it's a good kid. So there's this, this family, this older sort of Asian family. It has kind of a Japan-like feel to it, but it's not really defined as that. But it's like this small Asian town, and these this older couple is very poor, but they've wished their whole lives to have a baby. Well, they find this giant peach in their on, from their peach tree in this river that's just gorgeous where they live in like maybe Japan. And inside of that peach is this young baby, this young baby boy. But he's already practically their size, and he's a baby. And then they show this montage of him growing and this elder family just being very happy and raising this child with love and honor and respect. Um, but the town sees as he's getting you know older and into like his sort of pre-teens that they're scared. I mean, it's something out of the norm. It's something they're not used to seeing. It's, it's not really set in this sort of um, ultra crazy fantasy world. There is... Um, you know, ogres and things, but it's not overly in, you know, in, in fan like overly fantasy. It's just kind of grounded in reality. And so the townspeople tell them that in this, uh, this town nearby is run by, run over by these ogres and they're just looting and destroying these towns. And they, they ultimately say they want the giant, the boy to leave their town. But as the, as the story is told that this other town is being ravaged by ogres he says well i'll go and help them i'll go and help them and prove to you that i'm not an evil giant that i'm going to go to this next town i'm going to find these ogres and do what i can to save these people's you know to save the, their town and to and to rid them of the tyranny of these ogres and so he goes on this adventure and we goes on an adventure there is this sort of wolf that befriends him and a monkey that befriends him and this strange sort of pelican this kind of giant pelican that all befriend him and he's on this road journey to find these ogres and that's really all i want to tell you i mean it's a pretty simple story the end is uh, pretty simple as well but it's this really just lovingly you know like a like a fairy tale for a younger kid and yet i super enjoyed this and i can see um uh, me reading this to like my future grandchildren <laughs> i'm definitely going to just sit down and read them this and it's uh it's just a cherished piece of art and literature it's just beautiful and uh, you definitely should buy it it's a it's a buy i will never forget and i will keep uh near me for my whole life it's just so beautifully done and jim henson i'm glad they're pulling things out of his brain and creating these stories because go back and look at witches and dragons in this uh, series, this storyteller line. It is so super good. And I know these are have been optioned. They're probably going to be movies or a TV show or an animated series or something. But it's already, uh, they're talking about taking it to the next level. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for that. But uh, coming in at number two is another uh, number one. This is the last of the three number ones that made it to the list. And this made it all the way to number two, which says a ton for a brand new number one to be the second uh, pick of the week. 
and it's from Action Lab Danger Zones, kind of a, in a definitely an indie title, and it's called Voracious Feeding Time, issue number one. And this is brought to you by writer Markisan Nasso, Markisan Nasso, and this is art, lettering, and design by Jason Muir. And I love this. There was a previous sort of uh, arc of this. I want to say it was six issues. And they give you a great recap of that, ultimately telling you that there was this uh, this suit created that can have you travel through time. And this person is messing things up by traveling through time, ultimately. And this is about dinosaurs and time travel. So if you like that, you're going to love this. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of Elephant Man, um, the Elephant Men uh, from Richard Starking. It has that feel because there are anthropomorphic dinosaur creatures that live in this very super futuristic society. So it's like if dinosaurs were still on Earth and it's like uh, 3,000 or 5,000 years uh, after they've evolved into standing upright, etc. That's where they are. And they have guns and sci-fi tech and it's just phenomenally done. I mean, even the the sort of uh, pads that they have and the, the hovercrafts and the, just that futuristic feel, the very clean aesthetic future look and feel awesome just by itself so you have this triceratops like character that is losing memory of the woman of his wife he's losing memory and she's gone missing so in this world of uh, in this dinosaur world where they walk upright and wear clothing and it's like this strange anthropomorphic world like i said he's a detective and he's trying to find people that have just gone missing and they're not only just going missing but the memories of them go missing. So it has to do with time travel and the prior arc, which I haven't even read. And I still enjoyed this this much. So it says a ton. But the part that grabbed me was this Triceratops character who is like a well-decorated detective. They show his medals on the wall, etc. Who is just really down and feeling bad about missing his wife. And he's trying to hold on to these memories. It's like a, like a scene from that, um, that Jim Carrey movie where... They're erasing memories of his ex-wife and uh, the spotless mind, but I don't remember the whole title. But it gives me—it gives you a feeling of that because the the memories are disappearing of his wife, and uh, and they show that in glimpses and pictures and little back, little um, you know, uh, flashbacks, and and it's just so well done. And I, it grabbed me right from there. I'm like, wow, this is, and so you're invested into that. And then it shows the uh, the detective Triceratops detective partner is like this more of a bird-like dinosaur. Kind of a like a like a bird velociraptor, <laughs> and he shows up in this awesome hover car and is like, "Look, we got to get to work. We got these cases to solve. Let's go." And he's like the comic relief of it. I could definitely—it's just the the way it has this cinematic feel. Uh, see this as a major motion picture. I just feel like they're gonna this. I hope that this happens. But so the partner is there and he's trying to make light of the of the subject of you know, hey, I know your wife's missing, but we're gonna find her, and he. The Triceratops detective really gets angry with him and yells at him and he's like, I'll cave your skull in with my fist if you continue to talk about my wife. And the emotion in the eyes is what's done so well here with Jason Muir's art because he backs off and then you see the Triceratops like guilty for what he just said and then he apologizes quickly. So they're, they're good friends. It's like this cop buddy story involving dinosaurs and time travel. I mean, come on, what more do you need? And then... They're in the uh, detective office. I love the little, just the small little bits of detail that show this world that they're building. Like, the dinosaurs, all the buildings are super large. All the doorways are super giant. It's like each one of the buildings in their town is more like a giant castle. 
but done in futuristic style. And they have like docks where all their sort of futuristic hover pods and rocket ships, etc., land on these these blue gridded like docks. And it's just a little detail, I know, but it really sets a great stage and a, and a kind of a, sort of a realistic tone to this look of the future. With you know, that's you don't see humans anywhere. They're just uh, run by dinosaur uh, humanoids. And then you meet uh, the captain, and even the captain is not your typical sort of police captain. He's very supportive of of the main character and his partner and tells them that someone has messed with the time-space continuum and they've figured out this technology in a way and they're going to send them to where they think the heart of this time frame break, this uh, alternate reality is, become, is happening and dinosaurs in their in their world are disappearing and the memories of them are disappearing so that's just sort of that's it that's all i'm going to give you and uh are they going to go they've just been presented with this like this is what we want you to do but they're not fully on board but it's his wife that's missing so there's just a great dialogue back and forth and i want to see where it goes because it definitely leaves you wanting more but such a solid pick a definite surprise i love when i read a number one don't know what to expect, don't even know what the story's like. I just kind of thumbed through this and loved the cover with the Triceratops detective there uh, named Gus. And that was enough to just be like, wow. And I guess, uh, and again, I don't want to give you every little detail of what's in that paragraph at the beginning, but you have to read it to really set you up with what previously happened there. But they did such a great job wording it. Sometimes you're just completely lost in these recaps and you have no idea. This really was an interesting, well-done recap, I have to say. Hats off, Mr. Marcus Nasso. But great stuff. Voracious. Feeding time. Get it. It'll be hard to get. It's an Action Lab Danger Zone comic. But uh, seriously... Seriously, top-notch, and I can't wait to see what happens next in Voracious, in this dinosaur world. But, with all of that out of the way, the number one, the big winner, the issue number one that beat all the rest of the 24 comics this week. Such an easy number one. I read this first, I loved it the most, held on to it, I challenged it with all the other top contenders, but it beat them all out, in my opinion, and it's number one, Aliens. Defiance, issue number seven. This is from Dark Horse Comics, and this is written by Brian Wood, who's done some great, great stuff in the past. Check out Brian Wood's work, some of his, more of his, uh, his Civil War type of work that he's written. Fantastic out of this world. Art by Stephen Thompson. Now, he has a little art team as well on this, because there is a, uh, there's two other artists that are phenomenal and Stephen Thompson as well, top notch. Very hyper detail, very super gritty and realistic. There doesn't really seem to be a lot of digital reference in this, which you think there would be, but uh, his lines are gorgeously drawn. But this is uh, set to where our primary character, Zulu Hendrix, uh, who has this horrible sort of back injury, has teamed up with a all these Synthoids uh, mercenaries, but primarily Davis is the main one. And if I do believe, if I remember correctly, the movie Pr Prometheus, the uh, the synthetic Synthoid, his name was, was Davis. But uh, his name is Davis in this as well. But even Davis has gone against his programming, and Zulu is AWOL in finding these space stations and not bringing back a viable uh, sample of the alien uh, DNA. That's what this uh, corporation wants. They just want to exterminate them. So you have the Wayland yutani Corporation hot on their tails with Marines. 
and their Synthoid uh, agents that are trying to take Davis out as well. And there's even a third character which they found on one of the sort of ships that was infested with aliens that is uh, now with them. And she's like this sort of professor or, uh, you know, scientist. But um, in the last issue, she gave herself an ultra ultrasound. And yes, she had a face hugger alien on her and she is infested in uh, with the alien growing inside of her with a queen and they show i love the 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 use of the technology here it's just enough to uh to just sort of marvel in its spectacle that is the high tech uh the futuristic look of these holograms that they show this this queen and it's already setting this creepy like scary tone like she's in she's this alien queen is going to burst out of her or that's something we've never seen that's what i really loved about this we've always seen this sort of the hive aliens uh come burst out out, out of humans uh we've never seen a queen born and how and why this queen is growing inside of her now maybe she's just going to explode with this uh the queen <laughs> instead of it just kind of going out to the middle of her chest but zulu and her and davis are trying to figure out what the heck to do. I mean, they, at one point she's thinking, maybe we just kill you. Like, sorry, we don't know you that well, lady. There's a complex conversation here. And Davis, who has gone against his programming and is uh, AWOL uh, from his Synthoid group of, of militia, you kind of uh, wonder about him because he has hidden some alien DNA and some alien samples in, very, in issues past. So maybe he's uh, double-crossing them as what's always sort of lingering there. That you can never kind of trust Davis completely. And then they're going to slice him one day and that milk blood is just going to come out of him. But So they ultimately decide here that they have to decide and do something fast. Because as they're looking at it, it's growing. And each time they show another holographic image of this queen alien growing inside of her, it's just getting bigger. And she's having pain and she's already starting to not be able to breathe. They really build some great tension here because this thing is growing fast. And I love that this kind of, this issue alone is like, uh, you don't need to have read any of the previous Aliens, honestly. This one really stands alone as like this awesome Aliens uh, action film. It reminds me very much of Aliens 2 or just Aliens uh, with Sigourney Weaver, that movie, which uh, is my favorite of the series. It's just action-packed. It's got the Colonial Marines. It's got Zulu Hendricks, who has a debilitating back injury but she she finds with drugs and them sort of and zulu and i mean of uh this professor and of davis uh, patching her back together when they can and using some of the futuristic technology to put this brace upon her and she is just constantly in pain and i like that that's a factor here it reminds you it builds the tension it makes her more human and it just uh adds complexity to the story so they decide that they want to surgically remove this queen uh, why they believe that if they really study a queen which has never really been done it will maybe f help them find an easier way to mass exterminate these aliens that are infesting a lot of these humanoid space ships these deep space exploration ships um, so that's what they decide to do and they build a plan here they have a, a room that uh, has cryogenics in it that they're going to infect the room uh, with a lot of cryogenics uh, material to freeze the queen so they they're finding a way uh, surgically to keep her alive but remove this queen from her and the professor is the smartest of them in the areas of surgery although Davis uh, has the ability to 
as well to find lots of information in a short period of time and absorb it and help with these surgeries but she wants to ultimately do it on herself she doesn't really trust davis either and that's another little factor so that's all i'm going to tell you because i want you to definitely read this but you got a lot going on right here leading up to the ending they've uh, had this complex conversation about what to do she has the queen alien growing in her they can't really trust davis zulu has this debilitating back injury this professor they don't really know so in a way they feel she's kind of expendable if things go wrong, Zulu has a gun with her as well to just pop her and pop the alien and be done with all this. So what's going to happen? Who knows? You got to tune in. Grab it. Get it. Buy it. Aliens Defiance, issue number seven. So super good. And I tell you, this just builds and builds and builds in tension all the way to the very, very end. And I hope they make a movie of this. It would just be amazing. But hats off. Number one pick. Easy to the entire team that's been building this. Brian Wood has been a, doing a fantastic job with writing this. He's definitely added uh, that legitimacy to this franchise. There's been a lot of alien comics that I, you know, over the years have only just dabbled in. I know that haven't done really super well in sales. Some of them have, but most of them haven't. But Brian Wood on this is something you should not miss. Even the cover is gorgeous. They show Zulu uh, with the, the holographic uh, image, you know, in behind her. And brighting, showing the image of her face with the alien hologram like across her face and lighting her up in blue. It's gorgeous. Absolutely the second cover winner of the week because of the blue and the silhouette look. It's just uh, creepy and ominous. And then you see a baby queen. Yeah, it's uh, something different, something uh, unique for the Alien uh, franchise. I love it. That's why it's my number one pick of the week. So there you go. There you have it. There's our entire show. 14 comics. That's uh, It's been a while since I've had that many make it to the top pick so there you go those are all of the new co uh, comic books for new comic book day december 7th please just walk into a local comic book shop tell them that chris from sunspots comics told you to buy these and then buy them all you just you will not be disappointed and if you have any questions comments or you'd like a personal comic book recommendation email me directly to chris at sunspotscomics.com if i choose your email and discuss it on a future podcast i will send you a comic book prize uh like uh ruben like you just got Thanks for listening, Ruben. And please uh, sign up for our newsletter at sunspotscomics.com contact. And tune in next week for issue number 85, where I'm actually reading 16 new comic books next week uh, for December 14th. Four also new number ones coming out, so potentially 20 comic books next week, next week so not bad. So a lot of awesome stuff coming up that I'm really looking forward to, like next week for December 14th. Uh, you've got Briggsland, you have Chimichanga Issue 3, Clean Room 14, Daredevil 14, Descender 17, I love that D Dustin Wynn, Jeff Lemire comic, Detective Comics, which seems like, I know it's bi-weekly, but it seems like it comes out every week, Flash number 12, Fool Killer number 2, that's a cool one and a weird one, and even Green Valley, which was a top pick of the week very recently. Um, so just tons of stuff coming out next week that I'm super excited about. So please tune in. And like I said, hit subscribe. So thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart. I hope that you are having a wonderful holidays. Pace yourself. Make a list. Get organized. And buy a gift for someone maybe every day. Don't just overwhelm yourself and go nuts. I'm trying to do that myself. But uh, just uh, it's such a great time of year. Enjoy it. Be with your family. Use that excuse to maybe get together with someone that uh, you haven't seen in a while that you've been putting off and uh, use Christmas as an excuse if you have to, just to, to make a connection with someone that you miss and maybe haven't seen in a while. But anyway, that's uh, please uh, tune in next week for issue number 85. And of course, don't forget to be water, my friend. Be like water. See you next week. Bye-bye.
Sunspots Comics Town.